Our topic this week from the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, Righteous Abel. And why do bad things happen to good people? Genesis 4, verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Abel, or Cain, and said, I have acquired a man of the Lord, and then she bore again, and this time his brother Abel. Verse 2, now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in verse 3, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but to Cain and his offering, he did not respect. And so last week, we, we looked at this, uh, that the offering, the different offerings between the two, and what made the difference between the two, what made uh, Cain's offering in particular not acceptable, and what made Abel's offering acceptable before the Lord. And again, you'll be able to see that on shalomadventure.com. So this week, we want to focus not on so much on the offering, but on why God accepted or respected Abel. Right? He respected Abel and his offerings. Last week, we looked at the offering aspect of what he respected about it. And this week, we'll look at what God respected about Abel himself. And, uh, and then in the following weeks, we'll look at Cain uh, uh, somewhat. Okay, so verse 8. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. That's pretty horrible, right? Yeah. They kill his brother. And this is the first recorded murder, the first recorded human death, and it might have been the first human death to take place. And that, no doubt, would have been uh, horrendously difficult for Adam and Eve uh, and the great trial of that and losing a child. Any, anyone lose, lost, loses a child um, is always very difficult grief. And so, no doubt, especially difficult for them. Now, a, uh, a lot of people depict various pictures like this, paintings like this, um, and they have to paint them or draw them because uh, they didn't have cameras then. And so they, uh, they paint them nowadays, and they painted in different ways of how Cain killed Abel. And so sometimes, like this picture, he's using a rock. Sometimes the artist picture him with a club. Uh, some use a uh, metal instrument, like maybe, you know, because he, he was a farmer, and so maybe a sickle or something like that, some knife or something like that, he, he killed him with. But, you know, as we read the Bible, we know what weapon he used. He used his walking stick. That's why he's called Cain. You see, there's, there's significance in Bible names, right? And so if you understand that principle, you're able to figure a lot of things out, right? So. Okay, that's right. Verse 9, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And that's a very significant line, and we'll get into that another week. A little bit more today, but in another, another week. And so God called him out. Cain's in denial. And then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. 
through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, being dead, still speaks. And so the writer of Hebrews is amplifying on that verse in, in Genesis that we just read in verse 10, that it's the blood of Abel cried out to the Lord. And, you know, that's pretty significant if you think about it, that uh, God doesn't say to, to Cain, uh, what have you done? Your brother is standing here right next to me telling me what happened down there. Uh, you know, he doesn't say that. He says, no, his blood is crying out from the ground because Abel was dead, right? He had died, he got killed, and he was dead. But his blood continued to testify and speak. And the blood of martyrs does continue and will continue. And so those that are being suicided uh, and murdered and uh, criminally abused, sometimes on this earth justice takes place, but not always and maybe not even often, but there will be a day, there will be a judgment where all of this will be made to light. Nothing is hidden. Just as God saw what Cain did to Abel, even though there was no one else there, right? If a tree in the forest falls and no one's there, does anyone hear it? Does it doesn't make a sound. Uh, so if Cain kills Abel and no one's around to see it, is it known? Yes, it is known. God saw and God sees, and God sees the things that happen to you and me. God sees the abuses that take place on this earth. God will not be silent. There will be a justice day. There will be judgment. And justice will reign in the earth once again. Not in this earth, but in the new heavens and in the new earth. Righteousness will reign. Justice will flow like the rivers of water. But in the meantime... God still hears, and God still knows. Nothing goes beyond his notice. And so just as Cain thought he got away with it, thought no one knew, no one would know, God knows. And those who are working at night to defraud people and hack computers and break into homes, God sees, God knows. To do harm, to cause suffering, to profit themselves, whatever their evil motives, God sees. And God knows our pain, God knows our suffering, God knows our loss. And this world is not the end. This is not what it's about. Right? We're just passing through, our goal is heaven, our eyes need to be focused on the prize set before us. And so death here on this earth is not that big a deal. God knows, God hears. And our testimony can continue on, even beyond our life here on earth. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is bringing out here. I believe it was Paul. He doesn't sign it, but it could have been someone else. But the writer of Hebrews, talking about Abel's sacrifice offering to God more excellent than Cain. So it was by faith that it was more excellent than Cain. It took by faith. Well, what was it about that offering that took faith that made it more acceptable to God, more excellent to God than Cain's? Well, what takes faith? Faith to believe in the atonement that is paid for us. Right? Some people try and reason, well, that 
Abel's offering was his first of his flock, and the Bible does say that, and, but that Cain's was not, it wasn't his first, that it was maybe of, of you know, old rotting fruit and vegetables or fruit of his ground, and it doesn't mention that it was first, and yeah, it could be part of it, but the issue is by faith. And the faith was to believe in the atonement. Right? That's the redeeming faith. That's the saving faith. That's the faith that brings about righteousness. That God's sacrifice in our behalf. He believed in the promise of the Messiah to come that would crush the serpent's head, as was told to his parents, and liberate us and set us free from the curse. And so it was by faith that he brought a blood sacrifice. By faith he came forth, bringing an animal. Now, no meat was eaten at that time. No meat was eaten for another 1,800 years or so. So he raised these sheep, knew these sheep, maybe knew them, maybe named them, helped raise them, would shear them, would get close to them, hold them, touch them year after year and harvesting the wool off of them. I don't know if they drank milk at that time. If they did, he would get very close and milk them. He knew the sheep closely. And then to offer one of those, to kill one of those, and today in the slaughterhouses, it's very easy for a worker to become just kind of immune to killing one after another, after another, after another, after another. But when that's not your habit, that murder of anything is rare, for him to have to take one of the sheep and sacrifice, no doubt was painful for him. But he understood by faith the need for a substitute, that there had to be a death to stand in place of his death, of his punishment, by faith. A more excellent sacrifice. To obtain the witness that he was righteous. So he moved by faith, acted by faith on God's promise, on God's provision, on God's atonement plan, and received righteousness. So here is, he's mentioned as righteous. You're going to see that a few times. That he was righteous. And then God testifying and continue to testify that even though being dead, still speaks. So his blood spoke to God there in Genesis chapter 4, close to the beginning of this earth's history. Continued to speak 4,000 years afterwards by the writer of Hebrews continuing to share and testify of righteous, the righteousness of Abel, the righteous act of Abel, the righteous belief by faith in the atoning blood of the sacrifice pointed, that pointed forward to the Messiah. And it continues to speak today as we read this today. 6,000 years after his death, he still speaks, he still testifies. His righteous act. We don't know a lot about him. Just a few verses, very few verses about Abel. 
But he continues as an example for us. Continues to testify to us the need by faith to come to the Lord and be under the covering of the righteousness of Messiah, his sacrifice, his death in our behalf to obtain that righteousness. And here the writer of Hebrews refers to Abel as being dead. Though he is dead, still speaks. Now it's amazing how some people read the Bible and they see dead and they think alive. They read dead and they think alive in heaven. That's not what it says. It's as though even though he be dead, he still speaks. Now, he will live, he will live, he will rise in the resurrection of the righteous because he obtained that witness that he was righteous. At the Lord's return, the dead in Messiah will rise first, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. But until that time, 4,000 years after the event, before the, after the murder, the writer of Hebrews testifies that Abel, though he be dead, still speaks. And still speaks to us. And so whatever happens in our lives, may we live for God. So whether we die or live, that our lives would continue to testify and continue to be a witness, that we would leave behind a trail of righteousness for other people to follow, that we would leave behind acts of righteousness that would touch people's lives so that they also can come to know the Messiah and walk in his way and receive God's salvation. That is the calling he has for each one of us. And again, we don't know how long Abel lived, only a few verses written about him, but it was enough to continue to testify to us today. And so we don't have to preach like Paul or, you know, whatever, or be a king like David to have influence. God wants to use each one of us through his spirit to have an influence on others. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to Yeshua the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. So Abel's blood spoke and was powerful, but something about the Messiah's blood speaks even better things than that of Abel's. And so here the writer of Hebrews is making this analogy of that Abel foreshadowed in some ways the Messiah. Abraham foreshadowed the Messiah. David foreshadowed the Messiah. Moses foreshadowed the Messiah. None of them perfectly. None of them totally. But certain aspects. And so also Abel. In that Abel died by offering the right sacrifice. And Yeshua died by offering himself as the right sacrifice. Abel offered up of his own, and it caused his death. 
and Yeshua also in offering himself for us, brought about his death. And so Yeshua is the mediator and sprinkles us with that better blood than Abel. Moses, when he came before the people, sprinkled the people with blood of the offering as a covering atonement. And so here it's talking about the Messiah's blood that sprinkled upon us to give us that covering, his covering, that gift of forgiveness, that gift of, of uh, God's mercy upon us all, where he prefigured, pre-died for us, pre-forgiven us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us, granting us that forgiveness. Before we confess, before we come to him, pre-offered to us, sprinkled upon us, covering each one of us, even those who refuse it, still have been sprinkled. They don't benefit from it. But the forgiveness is there. He died for the sins of the world, not just the sins of those who accept it, not just the sins of those who confess it, not just the sins of the righteous, but the sins of the world he died for. The sins of Cain, all the way to the very end, he died for. Those who by faith come forth and accept his blood, that better sacrifice than Abel's, a better sacrifice than lamb and goats that would never fully cleanse, but the sacrifice of himself that purges us of our dead conscience and renews in us new minds and new hearts and new lives, changes us, transforms us. That sprinkling of the Messiah's blood upon us, as we accept that by faith, it changes us and transforms us, renews us, remakes us. By faith, we believe. And that true faith then acts upon it. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Whoever is born of God does not sin. The children of God and the children of devil are manifest. Whoever does not do righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We should love each other, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and Abel's righteous. This is the second time we read about Abel and righteousness being associated. And so his deeds were righteous, and here he's referred to his Abel's righteousness, his right choice. And that's really the difference between Cain and Abel. One chose right, and one chose wrong. Now it mentions here the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest are seen, the difference between the two. Now, were they born differently? Was Abel born with some inherent tendency or some inherent privilege to obtain righteousness that was not available to Cain? Were they born to the same parents? Yes. And what nature at that point had Adam and Eve taken on. Carnal nature, sinful nature. And so Cain was born with what type of nature? Carnal. And so he was a child of the devil, as it says here, right? Born a child of the devil. 
Now, Abel, what nature did he, was he born with? A carnal nature. And so he was a child of the devil. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Why are we called children of God? Because of the love of the Father. Not because we're born that way, but because we're born again that way. And that is the difference, that by faith, Abel accepted the death of his carnal nature, that his carnal nature passed, that his sins passed when he confessed his sins upon that sacrifice. The sins and the sinful nature and the sinful tendency transferred from him to the sacrifice, to the lamb, and died, thus giving him a new life by faith. Was that available to Cain? Could have Cain done the same? Could Cain believe the same? Could he have accepted the same? Yes, he could have. He chose not to. That's the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. That's it. The choice. Cain chose not to. And Abel chose by faith. Doesn't make sense. Kill this lamb? I have to kill this lamb? I'm raising this lamb for wool. Why would I kill it? I like this lamb. Why would I kill it? Doesn't make any logic. How is his blood poured out here? How going to help me? Be a financial loss? By faith. Believe that this lamb represents the Messiah to come who will die in my place. It takes faith. And then that faith works. And then we come back choosing to be children of God. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Right? Verse 9. Right? So we're called children of God by faith because of his sacrifice, because the Father gave the Son as the sacrifice in our behalf. And so the love of the Father that was bestowed upon us in giving us the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world, giving up his only begotten Son, most precious possession, the love of the Father poured out that calls us the children of God. Not again naturally, not natural, not normal, but a gift that's bestowed upon us. And then verse 9, whoever is born of God, does not sin. That's pretty clear. Should be. It's amazing how many people read the Bible and read that as if it says, does not sin often. Or sins every once in a while. Or sins, well, hey, I can't do any better anyway. God knows my heart. I'm weak. He knows that. He knows we're flesh. He's very merciful. He's very forgiving. He doesn't mind that much. But that's not what it says. Whoever is born of God does not sin. Now, of course, there's a difference between known sin and unknown sin. Not talking about mistake, not talking about forgetting someone's name. Talking about willfully choosing rebelliously, continuously to do what is against the word of God. Knowing to do good and not doing it. 
knowing to do right and refusing to do it. That is a biblical definition of sin that we'll be held accountable for. And there's no reason, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, when we have the renewing power of God to take away the carnal nature, to deliver us from the carnal lusts, to set us free by his power, to fill us with his Holy Spirit, there's no reason that we should live in rebellion against God. People say, boy, if they had to sacrifice an animal every time they sinned, boy, that would keep them from sinning. It's amazing. People are more concerned about an animal than crucifying the Messiah afresh. When we realize the price that our sins cost, the death of Messiah, that should pain our heart even more. better sacrifice than the blood of Abel given for us. And though when we see it in light of that, when we receive the Holy Spirit, when we're born as children of God, have his laws written into our mind, his laws written into our heart, the Holy Spirit empowering us from the inside out, there's no reason that we should fall for temptation. He's given us all things to power to resist temptation and to be able to live righteous lives, making right choices for God. Children of God, verse 10, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not do righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And again, that aspect of who's my brother's keeper? If we say that, then we are not manifesting that we are children of God. And so true faith, true acceptance of the Messiah's sacrifice in our behalf will bring about righteousness, will bring about right actions, will bring about right deeds, good deeds. Not that good deeds make us righteous. It's that God's righteousness brings about good deeds. <laughs> Him working in and through us, in us and through us. His spirit empowering us from the inside. If he's living inside us, we believe he's living inside us, then he will be manifested through us. It means the power to love our enemies, to love others, to minister to others, to be more other people focused, to pray for them, intercede for them, care for them minister to them, lead people to the Lord, to seek his righteousness, his glory, his honor in everything we do, in every aspect of our lives. And so we should, verse 11, we should love each other, not as Cain, who was the wicked one and murdered Abel. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and Abel's righteous. So his first issue was against God. He's angry at God. God doesn't accept his, his, his offering. And he takes it out on Abel. Abel really wasn't in the situation. He, had, he wasn't, you know, he didn't even have to be there. He didn't have to be in the situation at all. And he could offer his sacrifice 500 miles away or whatever. The issue was God did not accept Cain's sacrifice because of Cain, not because of Abel. 
had nothing to do with Abel, that God did not accept Cain's sacrifice. But in spite of that, Cain still took it out on Abel. And it's the same in your life. And the same in my life. We should not be surprised when the people of this world, the children of the devil, the people who choose, who's offered to them, who's given to them freely, free forgiveness, free salvation, if they would receive it, but who choose to reject it, who choose not to allow it to transform their lives, they may say, I believe, but true belief will demonstrate in the life by not openly, rebelliously choosing to sin. They will hate those who are living right. They will hate those who are obeying God's command. They'll call us all kinds of names, try and deride us and defame us, call us legalists, or all other kinds of things. The Bible says that Abel's life was righteous, that he did what was right. Doing what is right is not legalism. It is if you're doing it in your own strength, in your own power, and then, of course, then it's not really that great. But righteousness that's brought about through the Holy Spirit is holiness. God leads us in the way of holiness. God leads us in the way of obedience. God leads us in his path. Him living in us will be him living in us. And then we will live, and thus we will live as he lived. Not by our power, because again, we're dead. We're sacrificed. We're surrendered. We're crucified with him. Nevertheless, not I live, but he liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Him living through us. We'll live the righteous life. And that will stir up the devil. He will hate that more than anything else. He can't get at God anymore. And so he tries to get at God by hurting us. Just as Cain couldn't beat up God, so he beat up his brother. And that's what happens, and that's why. You think it's about you. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> you were just in the way. <laughs> you were just the convenient thing to beat on since they can't get at God. So the devil can't get at God, so he stirs up his children to try and persecute and harass us. And we go home, poor me, they don't love me, they don't like me. Or we get angry. But it has nothing to do with us. And we're really accepting the crucifixion and death with the Messiah and realize it's not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's this battle taking place between God and Satan. And we just lay low. Let God handle it. Whether that means we die like Abel or other losses, that's up to God. As long as God gets the glory. Whether he allows us to go through experience like Job, losing all our children, losing all our finances, and losing everything except a nagging wife, and so be it. God giveth and God taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
God wants to make our lives or our deaths a living testimony of faith in him. A faith that stands for him. In life or death, in righteousness or martyrdom, to live for him. And in Matthew 25, verse 35, Yeshua talking of the wicked, that on you, the wicked, may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. This is Yeshua speaking. And so Yeshua refers to Abel and his blood. The writer of Hebrews and John, they all referred to Abel and the writer of Genesis, by Moses, right? All referred to Abel as a literal person, as a factual person. And the event of him dying and being killed, and of Cain, being factual people. So do you think they believed the Bible? Do you think they believed the Genesis account of how the earth was created? And that God created Adam and Eve and that Adam and Eve had some children, one of them named Abel, one of them named Cain? Sounds like it. I guess because they didn't know about evolution yet. That must have been the problem, right? So if they would know what we know, they would know better, right? So it was more intelligently attuned. Yeshua, and John, and the writer of Hebrews, and Moses, were those who think we came from mud. It's amazing that those who profess to believe the Bible try and merge evolution with the Bible when Yeshua clearly had no intention of doing that Referring to Abel, Genesis chapter 4, you can't get much closer to the beginning, as a literal, factual event. And so just as the Abel and Cain account is a literal, factual account, so is chapter 3, where Adam and Eve sinned. And so is chapter 2 and chapter 1, where God created the heavens and the earth. They are factual. And because we know they are factual, we can learn from their example. And the same power that spoke the world into creation is that same power that speaks to us as well. The blood of Messiah that speaks even better things than that of Abel. His blood that speaks to us to transform us, to change us, to renew us to make all things new, is powerful. That voice, that word, that spoke, let there be light, and there was light. We'll speak into our lives. Let there be, and there will be. Out of nothing, created all these things. And out of our emptiness, as we empty ourselves, as we surrender ourselves, as we lay down our lives to the Messiah, out of that empty space, He can create a whole new life in righteousness and in holiness. And so on the wicked, he will 
hold them accountable, not only for their own sins, but according to this text, all the sins of the world, from righteous Abel all the way to the end of time. They've broken one, they've broken them all. What we've done to the least, we've done to Yeshua himself. And if we've sinned against Messiah here, then we would have done the same thing that Cain did then. We're no better, no worse than him. You say, oh, I never murdered anyone. I killed my brother. When we speak badly about people, when we defame their character, when we assassinate their, their reputation, we're killing them. Steal in various different ways. Take from people, hurt people, harm people tear people down, discourage people, purposefully cutting them down, not loving them, not helping them, not caring about them. We're no better than Cain. We don't love our brother. And who's our brother? Everyone who's alive on this earth. And so upon the wicked will come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. He'll hold them accountable. There will be a judgment day. God will make them pay for the death of Abel. It will not go unpunished. The judgment day is coming. And here, as Yeshua speaks of it, he's speaking in the future. Because judgment day is coming. The coming of the Lord. The ultimate Yom Kippur day. The ultimate judgment day. May you judge the world. Separate the sheep from the goats. Destroy the wicked and the devil once and for all. And so, again, whatever has gone through to us, give it over to God. Right? So much so-called counseling today is, is all about this victimhood. Give it to God. He's the ultimate victim. He's the one who's been hurt the most. And we've been pawns and we've gotten hurt and Abel's gotten hurt and others have gotten hurt. We've all gotten hurt in various different ways. Some much worse than others. But still, it, lay it all on Yeshua. Stop carrying it around. Give it over to him. He's the one who bore the pain. He's the one on whom the attack is. And receive the new life. Receive the new mind. Be born again. Start over by God's grace. Have a new parenthood. Become children of God. Let the old things pass away and all things be made new so that we don't have to have the judgment of the things of this world upon ourselves. Give the judgment over to God. Vengeance is his. Leave it with him. He knows how to do it. He knows when and he will get gain at the right time. And we'll look more another week on why he delayed another in a very different week. So why do bad things then happen to us? Why did bad things happen to Abel? Why is Abel the one who died and Cain's the one who lives on? Cain ends up with a long life. Cain has children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren and there's a whole list in the Bible of his lineage. And there's no lineage for Abel. By flesh, but we're still children of Abel by faith, by following his faith, by following his example. So why? Why did God allow Abel to die? 
Why he allow bad things to happen to us? Why does he allow the wicked to prosper? Why do they seem to go on and have a longer life and, and have all these great things? And we'll see, we'll cover that, Gain's offspring. They prosper big time. Why does God let them prosper? And why? We'll get into that another week. But why does he allow us to suffer is the question for today. Why does he allow bad things to happen to us? Well, four main reasons. Well, maybe lots of other reasons as well. But one, because of free choice. God gave Cain free choice. God gave Abel free choice. Abel made the right choice by faith. Cain chose not to. And in order to be able to give us free choice, he has to give us this freedom to manifest that choice. And so Cain manifested his choice. God would have stopped him, kept him from doing it. God would have stopped Eve from eating from that tree. Then it really isn't a test, is there? There's really not free choice there. But God gave Eve free choice, gave Adam free choice, gave Cain free choice. And so sometimes we suffer, sometimes people do horrible things to us because God gave them free choice. For now. But there will be a judgment day where God will hold them accountable for what they did to you and for the blood of Abel all the way to the end. Another reason is because, as an example, like Job, that people can see the difference between the righteous, the children of God, and the children of the devil. And as what said, that through this is manifest. Through Cain and Abel, their examples, is manifest the difference between right and wrong. And if everything looks the same, people won't know the difference between right and wrong. And that's part of the problem now. So-called children of God are not living righteously. Because we've excused it that, well, we don't have to live without sin. We just keep on asking forgiveness the rest of our lives for the same thing over and over and over again. And then we look just like the world. And so nothing is manifested. Nothing is demonstrated. The power of God is not manifested or seen. It's the power of God is the power to change us. And so one, another reason is for that to be demonstrated, for the judgment, for the salvation of other people. A difference to be shown. Another reason is because we're not in heaven yet. This is a fallen planet. Chapter 3 said we fell. Chapter 4 demonstrates that fall and the results of that fall. Bad things happening to good people. The devil is the prince of this earth. He goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And even more so at the end of time. And so don't be surprised if the wicked attack you. Verbally, outwardly, behind the scenes, various different ways. Satan's going to continue to work until his work is destroyed. And so we're in a fallen place. It's a fallen planet. Right? That's why the bugs are winning. <laughs> more and more mosquitoes, more and more cockroaches, more and more right, weeds. Right? They're winning because this is the devil's planet. This is this demonstration to the universe of what it would look like throughout the universe if the devil was in charge. And they're all disgusted with it and don't want anything to do with it. And thus there will not be a rising up of sin ever again. Not because there can't be, but because no one will choose to. They will have the example for all eternity. 
What's the result of that mistake, of disobeying God, of choosing a different way, choosing a different path? And so God allows suffering in our life. And also so that we can enter in to the suffering of Messiah. So we can better relate to his pain, to his sacrifice. Because what happens to us, no matter how horrendous, is still just a small portion when you multiply all the things that happened to all the people on the earth. And it's happened since the beginning of time, since Abel on. And all of that is carried by the Messiah. All that pain, all that suffering placed upon himself and received upon himself. And so God invites us to understand what he goes through as the devil accuses him, as the devil brought out rebellion in heaven, as the devil got one third of God's created angels to rebel against him. God invites us to understand and relate to his suffering a little bit and what we go through here on this earth. There's lots of different reasons why God allows suffering. And sometimes another one, I guess a fifth one, is because sometimes we make dumb choices and we bear the results of those choices. Sometimes before we come to the Lord, sometimes unfortunately if we choose to make a wrong choice afterwards, and sometimes we bear the results of those things. That wasn't the case with Abel, at least no reason to believe that. His deeds were righteous and that's why Cain killed him, but that's why sometimes good people suffer as well. And so sometimes we bring it on ourselves, sometimes we're just because we're in a fallen planet. People have free choice to manifest that wrong choices upon us. But whatever the reason, whatever the case, that is what it is, and this is where we're at. And so don't be surprised by it. Don't be surprised when, when wickedness happens to us. Don't be surprised when if we become martyrs, and don't be surprised if bad things happen to good people. You know, there's a lot of people who preach this prosperity gospel that everything, God loves you and everything's going to go good to you. And people come to the Lord thinking that everything is going to go right from there on out. And then reality hits and then they can lose their faith. But where is God? Where is God when I'm suffering? He's suffering with us. He already went through it for us. No temptation that has taken you, which is, but is common to man. And with every temptation, he will give a way of escape. Nothing comes to us that it did not first go through his okay. That he had to allow it. Knowing that he has given us all the tools necessary. That he has given us a proper measure of faith to stand up against it. And only then and then alone does he allow it to come to us. Again, whether to prove him right or to uh, be an example to the universe or an example here on this earth or for whatever reason, you know, to grow our faith. Lots of different reasons. But don't be surprised when suffering comes to your life. That's just par for the course. If we're children of God, there are more that are children of the devil than are children of God. And if we truly are the children of God, then the wicked children of the devil will try to hurt us. And the devil himself and evil angels. So don't be surprised. But when you see these things, rejoice and look up, for your redemption draws nigh. Amen. We're just passing through this place. 
This is not our home. Don't get comfortable here. Stop laying down roots here. Stop holding on to the things of this world, whether life or health or things. Stop holding on to this world. Let go of this world. And so if someone takes your stuff or takes your life or takes your limb, whatever, we're just passing through anyway. We're just passing through. It's better to enter into heaven without that limb, without that car, without that boat, whatever that thing is, whatever it is, than to miss out and have that stuff here. So let go of it all and hold on to God by faith. And so, as we take these things to God in prayer, in a moment, whatever applies to you, we can surrender to him. And so one, if there's any sin in your life, you're a child of God. If there's any sin, any open, known, rebellious sin, turn that over to God right now. Give that over to him. Become born again. Become born anew. Accept Messiah's sacrifice in your behalf. Confess it to him like Abel. Let it pass from you to that sacrifice, to the Messiah. Let it be removed and buried in the tomb and destroyed and killed and left there. Let the Messiah resurrect a new life in you and give you victory in that area of your life. And go from victory to victory by his grace and by his strength. Secondly, there's some area in your life God's bringing to your mind where you're not properly loving your brother. Some area, someone God's placed on your heart to share his love with, to talk to about, to do some good deed to, and you've been resistant to doing it. Maybe a friend, maybe someone, just acquaintance, maybe an enemy. God's calling you to pray for, to forgive, God calls us to love. And so if that applies to you in a moment when we pray, you can ask God to give you the ability to love. Again, loving does not mean going and being reabused. We can love from safe places too. But we still need to love. Third, If you're in the midst of making a decision for God or against God, for God's way, against God's way, take from the example of Abel. If you need more faith, ask God for more faith. And we pray you can ask God for more faith to make that decision, to make that right choice, to be on God's side. You're being tempted with something, struggling with something. Surrender the decision over to God and let him give you the power make the right choice for him. Fourth, maybe you have had uh, a brother or sister or spouse or parent or co-worker who's done you wrong, like Cain did to Abel. Maybe because you did right, or maybe just because they were angry at the world or angry at something or whatever. Surrender that over to God. Give the pain over to him. Let him bear it. Stop bearing it. Stop bearing, being the burden bearer. He died to carry our burdens and our weight and everything. Not only our sins, but the sins that were done against us. So stop carrying them. Give them over to him. Let him carry your weight. Let him carry your pain. 
Let him carry the grief. Let him carry the sorrow. Give it over to him. And accept by faith his love and the promise of everlasting life where there'll be no more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears. Look full in the in his face, the goodness of his smile. Accept his embrace. And let that melt away all the rejection that's taken place here on this earth. And live in him and in righteousness for him. And so if any of those areas apply to you, or some other lesson that we've learned from Abel's life to live by God and live righteously, let's pray and Let's accept by faith. Let's fill, be filled with the Holy, example, Holy Spirit to be an example here on this earth. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, you rule over all things, yet you see everything. You see it all, and yet you see every detail. And so you know our lives, you know the things that have happened to us, just as you saw what happened to Abel. You know what's happened to us as well. And thank you that you will judge. Thank you that you do hold an account. Thank you that you are keeping records. Thank you, Lord, for offering yourself. Thank you, Father, for offering your son. Thank you, Yeshua, for offering yourself as a better sacrifice for us, the ultimate sacrifice for us. Thank you for shedding your blood in our behalf. Thank you for entering into our suffering. Thank you for understanding our suffering. Thank you for giving us the privilege of entering into your suffering. Thank you for allowing us to be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Thank you for counting us worthy to receive persecution, to live in us and through us. Renew us in mind and in heart. Give us the ability to rise up against the things that have happened to us. Give us the power to walk in your way, to walk in your strength, to walk in your glory. And use us as living testimonies, living sacrifices for you. And may your righteous deeds done through us live on and be a blessing and a witness to others. Use us in loving our brothers and sisters here on this earth. Use us in winning more people for the kingdom of heaven. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for embracing us, lifting us up, to that high calling. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.